We'll be starting out this morning in Genesis chapter 12 and working our way briskly through Genesis 17 there. As we open God's Word, it's important that we be mindful of the weight and the gravity of the Word of God. This is God's word to us today. Psalm 119 verse 136 says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. I mean, it it grieved the psalmist that people don't keep the law. Let that not be said of us. Let our hearts hold fast to God's word. And as we hear it proclaimed today, help us. May God help us to be a discerning people, a wise people, wise as serpents, gentle as doves, especially when it comes to the teaching of his word. Let's beseech him here this morning. Father, we come before you awed and humbled that we would have your word here before us. Oh, that we would not take it for granted. Oh, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the way that we should go. Father, let us not forsake your word, but take it deep into our hearts. Drink in your word to find reviving and our satisfaction. Father, if, if there be anxieties and stresses in our minds, help us to set them aside, to cast them upon you, knowing you do care for us, that we might hear your word this morning. Do your good work in Jesus' name. Amen. For, for those of you who know me, many of you believe um, that I am from Minnesota. My, oh, my coffee cup's in the other room. My Minnesota Vikings mug. You'd think I'm from Minnesota. I'm actually not. I'm from Mesa, Arizona. My parents moved west from Madison, Wisconsin to Mesa, Arizona because he received a call of God upon his life. I had no say in their moving to Arizona. I had no say in their moving from Arizona back to Minnesota. And I have no idea, I need to ask my brother about this because both my parents have passed. I have no idea why they moved to Minnesota because they're from Wisconsin. But I grew up a Minnesotan because that's where my parents moved. Well, for a while, but then they moved back to California. And I think it was for my brother's respiratory issues, but I don't even know that for sure. But they were only there for a year before they moved back to Minnesota again. And that is where I grew up. And so most people know me as a Minnesotan. But I had really no control over that. That was completely because of my parents. You can go back further. How did my parents meet? How did my parents come together? Why did my dad not date this girl instead of dating my mom? How did did that happen? I don't know. And you can go back further and further and further. And really, the fact that you're sitting here today is an extraordinary miracle of circumstances. 
How did this happen? The same is true of Isaac. And today, we're not even going to see Isaac born. Last week, I began a sermon series on the person of Isaac simply because most people don't know that much about him. But we are like Isaac in that we have remarkably little control over the person we are or in truth, the person you will become because you do not know what will beset you or will cross your path when you walk out that door today. Now, this ought not make us panicky or complacent or contemptuous because we know that neither fate nor the stars nor the feng shui of my living room is going to affect God's intention and his purpose and his plan in my life. And what a joy that is. And so as we open up here to Genesis chapter 12, the first thing that we see about Isaac's life is that most of it was completely out of his hands. He wasn't even supposed to be. I mentioned Genesis 12, but if you back up just a few verses to the end of chapter 11, verse 30, it says, Sarah, his mom, was barren. She had no child. She had no control over this. And and while we are medically more advanced and there are some things that can help out and be some problems that can be solved, still... Conception and life are in the very hand of the living God. Next week is Sanctity of Human, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and I'm going to take a break from the sermon series on Isaac to address that and all of its ramifications on how important God's creating man in his image is for us today. But there is one who does control conception. Jacob recognizes this point. Isaac's son, Jacob, recognizes this point when Rachel is lamenting that you haven't given me a son. Leah's got children. That's a whole mess right there. And Jacob responds to her that, I have no control. God is the one who opens and closes the womb. If you move forward into 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6, Elkanah, Hannah's husband, loved Hannah by partially because God had, and he even says, God has withheld the fruit of your womb. It was God's doing. And so Elkanah made sure to lavish his love upon her to know that she was not deficient simply because she had no child. So Isaac ought not to have been. He was, his, his mom was barren. She was having no children. And she was old. As God calls Abram into the promised land, Abram is 75 years old. Sarai is nine years his junior. So she is past the age that we would typically think today of childbearing. And while they were older at that time, even she is past the normal age. But Isaac became a child of promise 
and purpose also through no doing of his own. In chapter 12 and verse 1, we see God's covenant spelled out the first time with Abraham. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will bless I will make a excuse me, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Abram was seventy five years old when he departed from Haran. It's an extraordinary covenant. We could do a sermon series on the covenant of Abraham and how it's spelled out three different times to Abraham himself there. And we'll touch on most of them today. But we see a land offered up. I will give to you a land, take you to the land that I will show you in verse 1. He says, I will make you a great nation in verse 2. And through this great nation, I will bless you and I will make your name great ultimately so that you will be a blessing. But all of this depended upon... A kid, which he didn't have. And Isaac had no control over this, nor did Abraham, Abram at that time. But despite of the barrenness of his wife, despite, uh, despite the fact that the promise was contingent upon him having a child, Abraham went. Abraham obeyed. Isaac had no control over the fact that his daddy was obedient to the living God. His daddy did what God called him to do. Now think about this. Okay, Abraham's living in Iraq between the Tigris and Euphrates River. Very fertile. This is where he grew up. His family's all around there. And God tells him to go. But my family's all here. Oh, and I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, I have no child. And oh, by the way, I'm 75 years old here. But we don't get any of like Moses' gripes. You know, Moses, when God calls Moses out of the burning bush, you get excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. But you don't see this in Abraham. Abraham loads up the truck. And up the Tigris and Euphrates they go to ultimately come down into Canaan. Consider that. Abram, the name Abram means exalted father. And, and what a joy for Isaac that his father was obedient. Now, though we don't get to choose our dads, we as dads get to choose the kind of dads we are going to be. And so we have a responsibility to that end. And fathers, just a side sidelight, this isn't Father's Day. Um, but you will not and cannot be a perfect dad. So that's one you can get over right now. But there was one. And to him we cling. And to his face we turn. And to his word we seek. And ultimately trying to become the father that he would have us to be. And so, as far as it depends upon us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can, as Abram was, be obedient. Abram went when he was called. 
So as we come kind of to the end of, of this first point about Isaac, okay, he's got, he's got no control over what's going on here. None of you picked your dads or moms. Okay? None of you pick your dads or moms. Okay? They're, they're, it's, it's a blessing. They just are. Some, some by adoption, some biologically. And, and we don't know why our mother said yes to our father, why she didn't go after some other guy. And so the infinite threads of our past are a beautiful and wonderful tapestry to bring you to where you are. Just as God ordained Isaac to be the child of a promise, God has brought you to the chair that you are in today for his good purpose and for his plan. Now I'm going to skip two chapters. Go from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 15. Things are going on in Abram's life, but our focus really is Isaac and ultimately Abram's relationship to Isaac. By the time we get to Genesis 15, we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but some, there were two chapters full of events that we ignored here. And we get to the first instance of Abram trying to give God a boost. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you out because obviously what you promised ain't happening here. Pick up in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God's about to get, about to reiterate the covenant to him. And before God can almost finish the sentence, Abram's going, something's missing. Ain't got a kid yet here. Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer, of Damascus. Now, I mean, it's just, hopefully where we sit today, the idea of helping God should, should make us giggle. And really, the sovereign God. But that's, that's just the way we are. Um, how, how often do we not trust exactly what God has said? Well, this is a different situation. Um, uh, my situation's not quite right. So I, I, need to, I need to help out. I need to give you an assist. But God tells us, this is a great verse, and, and really it applies in, in many different ways. Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul tells the Philippian church, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you We'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He doesn't need a boost. He will bring the work to completion. Now, I, I want us to be a little bit compassionate toward Abram here. Eliezer of Damascus. Okay, Apparently, Abram's got a great affection for this guy in his house, his servant Eliezer. Okay, um, I have no children, and so this is like my best guy. 
And he's ultimately, he's on my will. He's in my will essentially to take care of all my stuff if I die. It's all, it's all going to him. And so Abram goes here, what about this guy? You know, consider my heir, Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, verse three, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household, he will be my heir. Okay, that's, that's how we're going to do it, Lord. And God, God tells him, no, that is not the case. You will have a son as I have promised. Verse four, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. No lights of the city. Go out into the darkness and look up at the heavens. For those of you who've been there, wow. I mean, out in that country, no, no light pollution at all. Just inky blackness. Well, it's not inky blackness because the sky is lit up. And you go, oh, it's clouds up there. No, it's the Milky Way. Oh, I didn't know that was up there until you get out away from the city. God says, look at the stars. Abraham believed. What this means is Abram, Abram at the time oriented his life based on the truth of what God has said to him. I believe this. It's not just a head knowledge, but it leads to all that I will do. And we see this fleshed out in the Hebrews text that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Really, do I trust God? Do I believe Him? Will I follow Him? Now, Abram desired a child. He desired an heir of his own flesh. Is that a good thing? Yes, it is. Do I, as a parent, long for my children to live in obedience to the Lord and follow hard after Him? Yes. Maybe as a husband, I long for my wife to desire things of God. She does. But maybe she doesn't. But maybe that's my heart's desire that she would. Maybe I'm single and maybe I have a desire for a spouse. Is that a good thing? Yes. Is God bringing one here and now? Well, not yet. Well, maybe I need to help him out. Or am I going to take him at his word? Man, it would be great if my neck didn't hurt. It would be great if my father-in-law were not up in the hospital right now. Truth. And I pray for God to relieve these things. Are these good things to pray for and desire? Yes. Is God going to bring them to pass? I don't know. God, I long for a friend who will be honest with me, who will spur me on in my walk with Christ, and I don't have one yet. 
Well, will I trust him? Will I stay obedient to his word? Do we take God at his word? Will we find our satisfaction in him? Do we really believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain? Will I trust God in the big and the small? Or do I have a bundle of micro-anxieties and unmet expectations? Now think about this. It would be 400 years before the nation of Israel came into the promised land. And God spells that out to Abram in the rest of chapter 15. We're not going to go into the detail of that. But 400 years, are you willing saint to follow after God and be obedient to him, knowing that the blessing that he is going to bring upon you will never be seen by you? This seems futile. This seems useless. I'm doing no good flapping my gums here. I've witnessed to this guy over and over and over again. I've witnessed to so many and nobody's coming to Christ. Keep witnessing. Keep exercising your gifts in the church. Keep doing what God has called you to do because you don't know it may be four hundred years and the only glimpse you ever get is one child that comes to you or one person who gets saved but what if that one person was Charles Haddon Spurgeon and you die and you never see the fruit of your one faithful moment because that person came to salvation because you opened your face to him. No, it's not going to be through Eliezer. And again, I mentioned there, there's, there's much to discuss in Genesis chapter 15, but for the sake of time, we're going to plug through this. We're going to go past this. But all of this depended upon what? Isaac, who still isn't here. And so this takes us careening into Abram's second boost to God. Way worse. This is a chocolate mess. This is now 10 years after he came into Canaan. So chapter 15 is probably somewhere in that middle. Abram is now 85 years old. Verse 3 of chapter 16 says they had lived 10 years in the land. And they still have no kid. Ain't happening. Sarah probably knows of this whole promise thing. And she's going, okay. So Sarah takes it in her own hands. Now, Sarah, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Well, weren't they from up in Ur of the Chaldees? How did she come about? An Egyptian servant, perhaps, uh, and quite possibly during their time in Egypt. You can read about that in chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. So 
Maybe Hagar came to be part of the entourage at that point. But she's got a servant named Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Abraham, the great man of faith, said, No, dear, God has promised to bring us a child, and I won't do such a thing. Nope. Abram listened to the voice of his wife. So Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian. Her servant gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Wouldn't you love to have coffee with Abram? What were you thinking? Are you kidding me? Like this is going to bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men? I don't think so. There's conflict immediately from this. As soon as she conceived, when Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on Sarai. So now there's conflict between Sarai and Hagar. Hagar. Now there's conflict between Abram and Sarai. Said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram went out to the sheep. And what, what have I done? And we still have this problem to this day. Between, in the conflict between Arabs and Jews because the Arabs are descended primarily from Ishmael and the Jews from Isaac. What are we thinking? Do we feel so backed into a corner in my life issues that I have to solve a problem in a manner that dishonors the living God? Peter, three times in 1 Peter chapter 2, emphasizes that it is better to do good and suffer for it than to dishonor God and succeed in the eyes of men. Where's the counsel? Here, take my maidservant. Okay. We need to be aware and beware of plans that might play into our sinful weaknesses. I can't find a godly man to marry. And so I will settle for an unbeliever. I can't make headway in my job. I mean, try and imagine, imagine, seriously, I mean, we, we diss Hollywood all the time, but imagine being a woman in Hollywood trying to get ahead. Let's go back 20 years before the Me Too movement. What are you going to do? I can't get a role. You're a Wall Street broker. Oh, man, if I just work the numbers a little bit, if I cook the books, if I kind of get a peek and sell before... 
My child won't obey. Wah! Wah! Walmart. Crazy. Nuts. Oh, here. Here's the candy bar. Rather than discipline my child, I'm just going to capitulate. Or I'm going to go to the other extreme and inflict abuse, either verbal or physical. My parents, my parents aren't giving me responsibility. And they won't let me watch that movie. Oh, they're gone? Now I'll watch it. Or I'll lie. Or I'll grouse and complain. My spouse won't. X, Y, or Z. Do they know? Have you communicated? Have you spoken to them? Or are you going to sulk and explode? Or are you going to seek your affirmation elsewhere? Now, praise God for His Word. Praise God that we see such epic buffoonery from a man who is in the hall of faith. Abraham. The name is said with reverence among the Jews as you go through the rest of Scripture. Abraham's Abraham's not dissed. So I, I don't I don't know what buffoonery you have in your past. Just blatant, ugly rebellion against the living God. God can do great things in and through you. Jump ahead a chapter. Chapter 17. Despite Abram trying to help out. Oh, by the way, Ishmael was conceived. Abram was 86 years old. Chapter 16, verse 16. When Ishmael was born. Okay. Abram's now 99 years old in chapter 17. 13 more years have passed. And still no Isaac. So what's going on in Abram's head? I guess it's Ishmael. Ishmael is the child of promise that God has given to me. Chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Oh, wow. And that's, that's a, an entrance. Abram's response to this to fall on his face and worship. I mean, what more can you do? God continues, verse 4, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and to your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you 
and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Wow. Powerful. Everlasting. I will be their God. You have a new name from this. I'm giving you a covenant as well, a covenant sign. This is where circumcision comes in in the next uh, five verses, 9 through 14. Here, God gives them a sign as well to be a remembrance to them over and over and over and over again that I have made this covenant and promise with you. Picking up again in verse 15. And oh, by the way, not only is your name changed, I'm changing the name of your wife. God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her moreover. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings and peoples shall come from her. And Abraham, Abraham now goes, what? I've got my son. He's 13 now. He's a teenager. I've got me a son. No. Sarah? Sarah. Called her Sarai my whole life. Sarah? Is going to be the one? And so Abraham... (laughs) That's a good one. He laughs. He fell on his face and laughs and... Shall a child be... I'm 99 years old, God, in case you forgot. Shall a man, child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? She's way past childbearing age. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. As much as Abraham had affection for Eliezer, 13 years, this is my boy. We went hunting together. You know, I taught, I taught him how to throw his first spear here. Um, he's got great affection for his son. Imagine this. I want him to be the one, him. He had no son before Ishmael. It's okay, it's not Sarah's boy, but but God stands behind what he has promised over and over again. And oh by the way, since you giggled, that's his name. Because that's what Isaac means. Isaac means he laughs. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Isaac, child of promise. How do you get his name? Dude, how'd you get your name? It's an odd name. He laughs. Yeah, you know, it's my dad and my mom, actually, in the next chapter. But God doesn't just dismiss Ishmael either. Look at verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Oh, man. Isn't that sweet? I've heard you. I heard your voice. I understand your concerns. I hear your pleas. 
Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you this time next year. Isaac's still not around. Sarah's not even pregnant yet. And so, you know, Abraham's got to go from this kind of going, whoa, okay. But we see he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Continued to follow after God. But I mean, he came to Canaan at 75. He's now almost 100 years old, 25 years old. How long must I endure? And so, I mean, that, that is an echo in the Psalms over and over again. Lord, how long are you going to let the wicked have their day? How long before you come and set everything right? How long? Abraham wonders. We wonder about the little things in our life. When will you bring me healing? When will, when will, when will? Let me exhort you with two, two words from Scripture. 2 Peter, verses, verse 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. When will God fulfill what He has said? In His time. With purpose and plan, we do not understand. What a joy. The second verse is from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Do we trust God? I mean, as we look at kind of takeaways from this. Where are you and I in all of this in Isaac 4,000 years ago? Am I the person who has suffered long under some barrenness of life? Where is this joy in Christ I hear spoken of in the word of God? Where is satisfaction? Where can I find satisfaction in God? Where's the victory over sin? When will I begin to behold eternal life? Maybe you're there, there with Abraham. Maybe you've buffooned something so badly. You just think, man, he's never, ever, ever going to use me again. Oh, but he does. Hopefully we learn from our buffoonery to trust him more fully next time. Perhaps I'm angry about my lot in life. I'm angry because of my situation. It could have been different. But it's not. You can be bitter or you can give praise to the living God for where you sit right now. Now, some of you, and there are a lot of you I don't know very well, perhaps you don't even know your condition before God. Maybe you have no idea what what the promises of God are for you. Know this, that he knows the promises that he has made. 
When the day seems darkest, when the suffering feels like it's going to shatter you completely, when you look out the window and the villains seize the day as cars get overturned and set afire, God's plan and purpose will prevail. And perhaps if you don't know the living God, his call is to you even this day. So God knows the promises he, uh, that he made, just as he knew the promise that he made to Abram regarding his son Isaac. God will fulfill them. He is strong and he is faithful. He will fulfill them. And oh, by the way, the corollary to that is his fulfillment is way better than my duct taped solution. Way better. Abraham was 99, Sarah's 90. You ain't going to make it happen. Only God can make it happen. God doesn't want your capabilities. He's given them to you. He doesn't want your circumvention. He wants your obedience and your trust. God wants to be glorified in you and to show himself strong. He desires to lavish his love upon his children. And he wants you to find your pleasure and solution in him. So I don't know and I can't know what tomorrow is going to bring ultimately in your life. Or the circumstances that brought you here. And you don't even know them. Truly. But that doesn't have to frustrate you or discourage you. Remember, Abraham never saw the fruition, the fullness of God's covenant with him. 25 years, he saw nothing. And he only saw the tip of the iceberg, and we'll look at this in two weeks, in the birth of Isaac. But as we heard read in Hebrews earlier, Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. A better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God, oh, hear this. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called your God. For he has prepared for you a city. So in Isaac today, who wasn't even around at the end of the sermon yet, we see a hope and a provision in our circumstances and a hope and a provision in God's promises for those who love him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word and for the hope of the word. Lord, for the saints, I, I, I would hope that we would be encouraged by your work in and through the patriarchs. That we have a sure hope in Christ. And we will look forward to a city that you are building where the light is you where our fellowship is with you. We thank you for the fellowship that we share even now in the Holy Spirit and with one another through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this opportunity to worship today. Father, if there be any who do not know you as God and Savior today, let this be the day of salvation. I pray that you would open their heart and their mind to the truth of the sufficiency of of Christ's death on the cross for their sin to make them a daughter or son of the King even today. Be glorified in your church in Jesus' name.
Amen.